Hey folks, welcome to the PFFA pod. My name is Kyle McLowry. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. This is going to be the first in a series of podcasts. Uh, for all intents and purposes, run by Joseph Keenest. So Joseph is here with me and Chris Fukai for the this first installment. I'm super excited about this. So before we jump into that initial um, beginning of the podcast, essentially, I wanted to just back up a little bit and see if we can get a little bit sort of set the stage as to how we got here and maybe what, Joseph, what your idea was for, for having this podcast, this small series. So I'm going to ultimately sort of kick it over to you. I'll try not to interject too much. I probably will because I like to talk sometimes. But um, why don't you go ahead and just recreate some of the earlier conversations and sort of your idea for what you want to get, um, what your goal is. Yeah. Thanks, Kyle. Sure. So the purpose behind this podcast series in general is to bring the the experience and the knowledge and the insight of some of our high-performing senior members in the department with an emphasis on firefighters. And we'll be talking with company officers and chief officers as well, but to bring their knowledge, insight, and experience to the larger Portland fire community. It's pretty common for even in a department of our size of, you know, 700 sworn members that people get siloed in their individual, you know, battalions or specialties or stations. And that a lot of that experience and knowledge doesn't get transmitted throughout the whole department. Mm -hmm. And, you know, training has been revolutionized between TAC and station two. And so if you kind of came up in the last, you know, six to eight years, you've been really benefited from some of that senior member experience. But, right. you know, for people that like me that were hired, you know, I was hired in 2009 and training is at this point is unrecognizable right. to me. Right. So my vision for this is not really talking about tactics. There's a ton of information out there in the American fire service between YouTube university and podcasts and magazines and trade papers where uh, and hands-on classes where people can get tactical knowledge and experience but what i'm more interested in for this is the knowledge and insight that can only be gained from years on the job so combining a passion for the work uh, with experience it's there's just nothing that recreates that so from my perspective the mental performance side of the job is arguably just as important as tactics and technology and it's largely ignored not by just our department but the american fire service in general and there's some great organizations out there that are refocusing on the you know the mental intellectual moral um, complexities of the job and mental mm -hmm. performance but you know in terms of how it translates to our work every day it's something that we all experience but don't really talk about and our you know high speed senior folks are the ones that have been there and yeah. identified that whether um, actively or not as a key component of the work. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to, you know, talk about how important it is to recognize that early in your career. And then so you can get the most out of experience. If you're unable to contextualize experience, it, it really, you're not getting that much out of it. You're just hoping to recreate successes without really knowing why it happened. So briefly, how we got here in general is in the spring of 20, 2022, we were, <clears throat> Adam Salvetti and I ran a 
urban search and rescue structural collapse technician course, which is part of our training for station one. And it's a two week, 80 hour course. And Grant Kelly, who was going through the course at the time, had the idea of, well, hey, we got Mike Sheridan. He was working for FDNY during 9-11, mm-hmm. which was a relatively large-scale USAR event <laughs> in our <laughs> country's history. And yeah. why don't we have him come in and talk about what that was like to be on the job as a relatively new member, just mm-hmm. like we are, mm-hmm. and talk about experiences and lessons learned. So Mike came in, and obviously he had a incredibly captive audience and talked for about half an hour or so. And the thing that was most striking to everybody in the room was he spent about five minutes talking about the actual event of 9-11 and what that was like. And then he spent basically half an hour talking about the importance of mental performance on the fire ground. And that really struck us as to, here's more or less the only person in our organization that can speak with personal experience to something like that Mm. in an organization like FDNY and didn't really talk much about that Tuesday morning at all. He spent a vast majority of time talking about why things went the way they did in New York City in the fall of 2001 and why those efforts were successful to the degree that they were. And it came down to mental performance. And so for me, that was that really reframed the way that I look at our job. And it inspired me to pursue, I mean, he threw out a few, you know, podcasts that are out there, um, some organizations that are focusing on the mental performance part of the job. He talked about an effort that he was making to bring mental performance training to our work um, and some of the challenges and the stumbling blocks that he was encountering. My plan is to have him on here and we can get deep into that. But that combined with listening to other podcasts of senior members in um, big departments throughout the country, um, I really felt like that was lacking in our organization, or at least it was an opportunity to, to make it happen Absolutely. here. Absolutely. You want to pivot? Do you have more that you want no, to, that's, for, for preface? That's great. I yeah, appreciate the intro. So, <clears throat> so Fook, you're in the hot seat, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for being the first one on yeah. here. Um, no problem. You know, there's when I was thinking of a like a short list of people I want to have. I mean, you're you're right at the top of that list. And for me, um, being invited to be a part of the truck ops truck ops academy at TAC uh, and getting closer with you and some of the other members that are involved with that truck ops academy, it dovetails nicely into the mental performance piece, which is the community part. I mean, you can focus on mental performance all you want, but this effort is about being on a team and helping each other to the best of our abilities. So um, let's start at the beginning. All right. Uh, where, <laughs> let's do it. Like, let's talk about where you grew up and, and what, your, what your family experience was like and what you did. So where'd you grow up? So I grew up in uh, Spokane, Washington. Um, I grew up about a mile from Jared Miller. Over oh, okay. Boats. Yep. So... Uh, that's really nice. That's my claim to fame, is I know Jared. Were you on the north side of Spokane? We're Oklahoma? On the south side. Oh, south. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. nice side. Yeah. Up by Manitou Park? Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. Pass that. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's oh, very nice. Too. Um, yeah, so I moved up here in 98 uh, when I got hired. Uh, my wife, uh, Valerie, she's from here. Her dad was a Portland firefighter also and was kind of the reason I'm even here. I'm sure he 
when he met me, he was like, I got to find something for this kid to do. Like he's going to, he's going to drag my daughter into the gutter if he doesn't get a job and, uh, largely responsible for, for me being here. He said he thought it'd be a good fit, which I'm sure he was lying, but he was just like, (laughs) he saw something. You got to take the test. You got to take a shot at it. So what were you doing for work when you moved here? I had just graduated from uh, Whitworth college. Um, I was playing baseball up there and then, um, it's a funny story because like you know like most people are like i always knew i wanted to be a fireman and it was like i didn't know i wanted to be a fireman until i was a fireman yeah you know what i mean it was um i was kind of after baseball it was like well now what so i was actually um a relief driver for ups which is basically like a, a traveling yeah. ups driver so i call in in the morning you know at six forty-five or whatever it was and they'd say you can come in and work or not. Yeah. And then you just, they put you on this relief truck that drove all the easy routes. And so I'd, I'd been doing that. It was great. You know, I made a lot of money and it was right after the strike, uh, 97. So, but then I took the test and like, uh, like we talked about earlier, I got hired in 98 and I was on an apprentice list. Um, so, and I didn't know the difference between any of that. You know, I didn't know. Yeah. It was just like, well, apprentice sounds like what I am. I don't know anything, so this sounds perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'd been riding along at 23s uh, with my father-in-law. He was working there at the time. So um, I'd gotten a feel for kind of what I thought the job was like. Yeah. And then, but the whole time I remember, I remember going through the whole process and every time I'd make it through another section, you know, first the written, it was like, I can't believe I passed this test. Yeah. You know what I mean? And did good. And then the first interview and then the physical part. Every time I came back to my wife and it was just like, I can't believe I keep making it. You know what I mean? Like, I, this is just strange to me. I didn't think I could do any of these things. You know, like climbing the aerial was like, yeah. I had no concept of that. And when I saw it the first time, I was like, there's no way I could, I'm going to do that. You know? Yeah. And it was like, and there, I, then I did it. Yeah. And made it through. And it was like, bell. yeah. And it was like, I just kept, you know, so it, it wasn't so much like a calling, like a lot of people's, you know. Yes talk about it was just like the more i did it the more i felt like i can really do this i really feel like this is what i should be doing yeah you know and things just kept lining up in a way that it was like i need to be doing this yeah you know or somebody thinks i need to be doing this yeah so so you were playing baseball at whitworth yep Yep, i was playing baseball at whitworth um yeah division three but it was the same thing like I've always had this weird thing and I, I tell my kids about it all the time. It's like, I really thought I was going to be a baseball player for my whole life. I, you know, I have this weird, like, why wouldn't I be? Yeah. I love doing this, you know, (laughs) whether I'm good at it or not, you know, I feel like I'll just keep getting better and this will happen. Yeah. You know, and I have no concept of why it wouldn't until you're done. And everybody's like, why would you think you would keep playing? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I just, (laughs) Did you like going to way. school? I mean, so Whitworth's I can, a good school. Whitworth I mean, it's is a nice a good private school. college. It yeah. is. And like, I had no business being in that school, honestly. Um, my grades in high school, I didn't like school. I struggled through high school. I think I think I graduated with a minimum GPA you yeah. could graduate with. You know, I was in summer school almost every uh, every summer. So I, 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 but I really like sports and that's what kept me in school. Yeah. And my friend, you know, the social part of it. But... When I got done with high school, I knew I wanted to still play baseball, but my grades were so bad that it yeah. was like, 
nobody would, you know, nobody wanted to touch it. Um, so I went to junior college for a year, um, trying to get my grades up. That helped marginally, but it was more yeah. of the same. Um, I actually quit the baseball team there during tryouts. And so I was just kind of like every young adult kind of just floundering around, you yeah. know. And I was playing on a semi-pro summer league team, um, just still trying to chase the dream. And um, Whitworth had just hired a new coach. And I think he was, towards the end of the summer, was like, I don't have a full team yet, you know. Yeah. And, and he showed up at one of our games. And, you know, I had a decent game for a change. And, you know, it all lined up. And, yeah. And he really, he really changed my life because there's no reason I should have been in that school. Um, I was on academic probation the whole first year. <laughs> Um, you know, which was mandatory study hall. And, yeah. and when I got into college, I really started to like learning because yeah. it was a little more free, right? It was like you yes. could kind of take the classes you wanted to take. Um, there were some classes that you were forced to take because um, Whitworth was a um, Presbyterian school. Yeah. So I had to take theology and a class called core, you know, those more of a philosophy class, mm -hmm. you know, and things like that, that I never would have signed up for yeah and when i took him it was like this is amazing you know what i mean this is uh this is super interesting and it really kind of sparked me i i still had a terrible gpa i mean it was yeah you know i passed <laughs> i got through it you yeah. know but i definitely learned a ton and that's um i'm definitely grateful for that i met my wife there um oh okay and you know if i wouldn't have met my wife there i yeah probably wouldn't be here you know yeah. what i mean so you know it's like I think a lot of people have that story, um, but I think also a lot of people think, well, you must have wanted to be a fireman or you must have wanted to do this. It was like, I never even thought about this. Yeah. You know, it was never even something I thought about before I yeah. talked to my father-in-law about it. So, What did your parents do for work? Uh, so uh, my dad was an executive for uh, the power company um, growing up, and my mom was stay-at-home mom because I have two sisters and a brother. And then uh, when they got divorced, she went back to school and became a nurse. So yeah. she ended up being a nurse for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, and my sister, my baby sister's a nurse. And then my other baby sister works for the power company. So yeah, <laughs> same power company. <laughs> Perfect. Or not anymore. She did, but yeah. Yeah. she's moved on. But yeah. Yeah. So any other sports or hobbies that you were doing when you, you were know, growing up? I played, I was... Like when I was in middle school, I was a big skateboard kid. Um, you I know, totally, totally see that. Yeah, yeah. like <laughs> just that was all I did, um, even until probably my freshman year of high school. And then I mm. went out for the football team, and they said, you can do one or mm. the other. You mm. can't do both. And it was, and I don't know what the reasoning was yeah. for it. It was like, you know, I had long hair, and, you know, I was just living my best life. And, Heck yeah. And I, he just said, you can't. <laughs> You have long hair and you can't skateboard if you want to play here. So yeah. it's like, all right, well, I want to do this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I played football. I played a lot of racquetball, which, huh. you know, like you tell people that now and they don't even know what it is. Right. Um, right. But it was it was really popular at the time. Yeah. Um, I played a ton of racquetball through high school and then baseball. I played basketball, but not. Yeah. I wasn't good. So you when know. you rode along with your father-in-law at 23s, mm -hmm. what did you, was there a light bulb that went on in your, over your head about the job when you started seeing it or? Mm -mm. No, it was, uh, it was kind of the same thing. I think I was like more of a deer in the headlights, you know, everybody okay. was so senior at that station. Yeah. Uh, that was when, uh, I think C4 was 
station there. And so to me, it was just like, there's a bunch of old dudes that work here, <laughs> you know, and they, they had a blast. They had a great time, you know, but you felt like an outsider. It was yeah. like, this is, <clears throat> this is part of a club that I'm not part of, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it looks awesome, but the typical ride along, like they never had a call, you know, <laughs> yeah. or, or we did and totally. it wasn't anything good. Right. Um, John Thompson over there. When you did John the Thompson yep. was there and yep. Don Palmer, Harding, you know, a lot of, yeah. you know, really big names in our department. Super good guys, not always the most um, outgoing, like talkative, at least the ones that I know. Yeah, I mean, and they yeah. were they were super nice to me, um, but I don't know if it, you know, I think it's like everything, you know, if you have ride long and everybody's like, that kid's never going to make it, you know, like, <laughs> you know, this kid's a moron or whatever. Yeah, you where know? do you, uh, all you people that come in and do ride alongs at the station? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no confidence in your future. Yeah, it's just... I don't know. It's just how we are, I guess. Um, yeah. And and looking back at it, I would have thought the exact same thing. You yeah. know what I mean? It's right. just like, this kid really has no idea what he's doing here. Yes. You know, why would, why would we want him to work here? Yeah. You know? So, so when you got picked up and came into the, like through the trainee program, mm-hmm. what was that like going through training at that time? I mean, that's you know, 25 years yeah. ago. It was, you know, um, where the blue shed is now, that was our classroom. There was a group before us that had kind of christened it, but we were still like, even our first week, we were cleaning it um, to get it ready to, you know, sit in all day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, not having any preconceived notion, it was, I loved it. You know what I mean? It was great. Yeah. Um, I was learning all kinds of stuff um, that I never thought I would learn um, at the time. How many people were in your class? I think we I think we started with sixteen or eighteen. I can't remember, and then and all new no experience whatsoever. No, there were there were a few that had a handful okay. of experience. Um, we had a few medics, you know, people that had been volunteers. Uh, mm-hmm. Andy Ponce was my group, you know, okay. so he mm-hmm. was he had been a volunteer in Woodburn. So there were a few people that had experience, but I think for the most part, most of us were pretty new to it. Um, who were, your, who were your trainers? So I started off with, it was Linda Curtis and Paul Reyes. Dave Keller was a firefighter then. He was one of our okay. uh, trainers. And he was, I don't know if he was fairly new, but he was, he just seems timeless anyway. So, you know, he could have had 20 years in or five, you know, he, he, he yeah. seems the same. Um, and then Captain uh, Uskoski, he was a captain. And then uh, I think Linda got promoted to investigator pretty early and so amy rooney who would, she probably had two or three years on the job she came in as a trainer okay yeah yeah so and then what was the transition to station two like uh it was good we you know because we were an apprentice group we had a longer academy and we were also doing the emt basic so we had to wait for a couple people to pass the emt basic to go up there so it was kind of like hmm. it was almost like you know, you're ready to go, but you're not allowed to. So there was this holding period where it was kind of weird. Hmm. Um, we were nervous, you yeah. know, for sure. But I mean, we had such a good time at TAC and training that, which sounds weird to say now, because at the time it didn't feel like the greatest sure. time, right? With the stress and everything. But when you look back at it, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so we went to twos and I had, um, I was on a shift with, Captain Mayo was the captain there, and then uh, Lieutenant Kirkendall on the engine, and then Mike Billu and Bobby Awamoto. Okay. Yeah. So 
two legends. Yeah. And they were great. And we had a great time at twos. When you started running calls, did you feel like you were prepared? No, not even okay. remotely. No. <laughs> okay. I, I probably told this story before, but so Mike Billu was the driving instructor years previous to that. And so when he was the regular on the truck, he had come to us attack and said, if you're on my shift, the day that you get there, you better be ready to drive, you know, code three drive. Cause we had got our driver training and okay. stuff. And, and it was like, okay, yeah, like they're not going to let us drive to real calls, sure. right? Like they're going to pick and choose. That's what we were telling ourselves. And we walked in the door and at seven o'clock we caught a code over at the high school. Wow. And he looked at me and he's like, you're driving. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, the old truck too and everything. And I, you know, I, I'd driven it, you know, yeah. in, the, in the parking lot. And I mean, thank God that it was the high school. Cause I was like, yeah, this is the one place it's I know. A quarter mile away. I'm pretty yeah. sure right. I can get there. <laughs> And I remember, oh man, I remember my foot bouncing the whole way out. Sure. Yep. Shitting a peach seed just the whole way. And then, you know, we get there and it is a code, you know, in front yeah. of, it's in the auditorium in front of wow. 300 people. You know, we're doing CPR on this lady. And it was like, all right, like I'm in it now. And that was your first that shift was at my station first two. Call at station it two. It wasn't a student though, it was like a teacher. No, it was um, it was actually a tops convention. Okay, like uh, it's like a weight loss. Oh, okay, um, like a Weight Watchers kind of thing. But they were having their their annual convention. Interesting. So, I was yeah. just imagining it like it was a high school student. No, no, like that a, yeah, moly. I might have <laughs> I might have bowed out after that if yeah. that was the case. But yeah, it was just it was pretty intense for a first call, you know. And now it's, it just seems a million years away. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. but. Was the progression, did you work on the, you said that sounded like it was a truck call. Did you yeah. bounce back and yeah. forth between mm -hmm. the truck and the engine? Yeah, we rotated every pay period position-wise. There were four of us. Okay. Jerry Bartolome, um, Kelly McIntyre, mm -hmm. and or Kelly Jones, and then um, Gabe Weizenbuehler. Okay. Mm -hmm. So each of us would just go across the floor every pay period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was, uh, you know, whatever system you're in like at the time that was it seemed fine to me right um but looking back on it it was like i was on truck two you know the first day of my career and had no idea you yeah. know what that job could really be yes you know i was not ready right you know for for something bigger than that right but i might have gotten ready you know <laughs> yeah you never know right like yeah. it's I mean, so did you did you catch any good fires when you were at twos? Uh, yeah, we caught a few. Um, we did a ton of overhaul, right? Okay. Like everybody did back then. That was yeah. kind of the era. Yeah, that was yeah. the yeah. that was the thing. Um, which was I loved it. It was awesome. It's still kind of one of my favorite things to do. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why. All right. Um, you know, pin ins and we had a lot of fatalities. It seemed like okay. Um, so and that then, was so that, that in was those new. during those emergencies. I mean, are are the trainers showing you what to do mm -hmm. in the moment or are you guys talking about it ahead of time or a little of both um mike billy was an incredible senior man like when i was at twos like there you know there was an era where people were really intimidated of their trainer or scared of their trainer you yes. know and you talk to people all the time and it's like oh god i was so scared of this yeah so i was so scared of this guy and it was you know i wasn't scared of any of them like i had it was that feeling of I didn't want to disappoint them. You know what I mean? Because yes. they yeah. they really were yeah. invested in us, and you could tell, like you could feel it. Um, we spent like that bullpen area. We spent more time back there talking with uh, 
Bill Yu and Aomoto, you know, just about, you know, they would just tell stories, you yeah. know, and they weren't even always about fire stuff. You know, sometimes they were, but it was just like, they would just talk about life things, yeah. you know, and you'd be up till midnight just listening to them, you know, and, and catch little nuggets of things. You know, that's where I learned how to tie the life knot. Yeah. You know, that wasn't like part of our deal, but Bill, you thought it was important at, you know, 1130 at night Yeah, <laughs> that we know it, you know, and it was, so it was stuff like that. So they, there was a lot of that. And Mike was, he had really bad feet. And so uh, <laughs> he did a lot of instructing, uh, using us as his <laughs> hands and feet you know he'd be on the ground you know we'd be up on a roof and he'd be you know shouting stuff at oh us, no you kidding know, he, you know just being on the roof wow at those pitches would, Interesting. would hurt his feet so bad wow um but he was a really good communicator and a really good instructor he, you know he's an ex-military guy and okay um you know he'd done some things in the fire department too that you know it was just like you know like the old portland towers that kind of stuff okay right, right. So, right. Um, and Captain Mayo and Kirkendall were both great too. So every call we were learning something, but also every call, it was just like, what the hell is happening? Like, yeah, what am I doing right now? Yeah. <laughs> and, and Bill, you like the Portland Towers thing you mentioned, Bill, you was famously the one that found yeah. uh, the truck for Kelly. I yeah. Think his I think last so. Name I was, think that was um, his name. Yeah. Who was disoriented and mm-hmm. out of air and yeah. ended up kind of whatever the version of buddy breathing was at yeah, the time sharing a mask yeah. yeah and there's a you know for those of you that don't know there's a great uh video yeah. about the old portland towers fire which was in 1990 it was 30 years i think to well it was to the year i don't can't remember if it was to the month but um of the fire that we had in march of 2020 in the yeah. same building same yeah. floor right same yeah. part of the building it's crazy how it repeats so, itself like that I didn't yeah realize that yeah. Yeah. yeah and he was he was such a good you know a good mentor and a good guy you know to have as a trainer so i was really you know fortunate yeah that i that i had that early yeah but i still didn't know anything you know sure <laughs> yeah i hear <laughs> you know, i was just kind of doing what i was told and yeah and when i didn't do do it right they came back and let you know yeah so when you came out of twos where did you where did you go so then i went to uh kelly relief i went to 25s um that was my kelly track i did four at 25s and two at 11s so, yeah, yeah. I mean, and so was another, it the same? Like, you're still have a little bit of time left on your probation. Yep. I so still you're had three it. months left, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Enough to be scared. <laughs> sure. <laughs> to be worried, you know, <laughs> more than I would have been worried anyway. But so the late '90s yeah. at 25s. I mean, there's certainly yeah, some legends, legends there yeah. too. There were a lot of. It was all senior guys, you know, for the most part. Like, yes, you, you definitely didn't. <laughs> you definitely knew your place. Yeah. In both those places. Elevens was the same way. There wasn't yeah. know, too many. There was a couple, I think, a couple of junior-ish guys. But, yeah, they were. I remember looking at an old yearbook, and uh, Greg McAvoy yeah. was on the truck. And he was the junior guy. Yeah. And he had 20 years in yeah. of the members yeah, that they were, were on the truck. Everybody, they were all yeah. that way. So what was that? experience like did did some of the senior guys take you under their wing at all and kind of show you what's up or were yeah. they they just wanted to be left alone or no what? i mean it was it was i had a great time there and i learned a lot there there was definitely it was definitely different than twos um the expectation of you know that was where the kind of the speech where you know it was like hey, well, what do i do if we have a fire and it's like yes. well don't try and keep up with me because i'm i'll be gone you know and it's yeah. like okay <laughs> yeah. all right thank you yeah for that. yeah thanks <laughs> i'll i'm Sounds like a plan. And, you know, when we did have fires, you know, that old Tebow and your partner was across the doghouse from you, they were gone. 
you know, it was like, okay. you know, they didn't even wait for the rig to slow down. They were jumping off. So, um, there was a little of that. So, and that's teaching too. It's like, Hey, you know, yes. the, this is the tempo. This is the pace that we operate at. You better get on board with it. Um, but so I had good and bad experiences. Like, like I'm sure everybody had, um, at that time. Uh, one of the stories I used to tell was I, at Tuesday told us, you know, when you get out to your company, if you see a piece of equipment, you don't know, you know, what it is, or you haven't drilled on it, just ask, you know, one of the senior firefighters and they'll run you through it. And so 25s had a banger and it was right away in the morning. And I, you know, I went to the driver and said, Hey, we didn't throw the banger in training. You know, is it okay if we go out and throw it today? And, <laughs> you know, knowing what the banger is now, you know, I, I kind of understand his answer a lot more, but he's like, unless the aerial's on fire, that's not coming out. <laughs> and it was like, and that, you know, after you've thrown it, you probably have that, yeah. that same, but it was like, okay, well. Message received. Message received, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, I wouldn't say, it was funny at the time, but looking back at it, it was like, we should have thrown that, you know, because that could have been the night, right? Absolutely. You know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, um I was at 25s and 11s, and then uh, after that, I went to ones with five people from my training academy. There was a bunch of vacancies, you know, at the time, and it was like, it wasn't, it was tech rescue, but it wasn't paid or there wasn't specialty spots or anything. It was just like, we were filling vacancies, and they said, do you want to go down there? And I remember the first call I made was to Mike Bilyeu, and it was like, hey, they're, they're asking me to take this spot, and I felt like, you know, like most young guys, it was like, I don't want to go downtown, you know, um, what do you think? And he was like, you should absolutely do it when you're young. You know, he's like, before your knees okay. go bad and your feet go bad, yeah, you should get that experience because it's a totally different experience, you know? Yes. And he was 100% right. So I went down there, you know, with Goforth and Jerry and all those guys. We all went down together. Okay. Just fish out of water and yeah, <laughs> right into the core of downtown. So. I mean, it... It seems hard to imagine that it gets saltier than Station One in 1999. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zavodsky and Monroe and all those guys, Dave Lister. You know the, the names yeah. are Yellow go on and on. Yellow Jacket, yeah, Snook, yeah. Larry Warren, Snook. Yeah, so there was a ton, and they were and they were great. You know, w- w- yeah. What was the culture like at the station at the time? You know, I mean, obviously working at ones, you know what it's like. It's like it's just you're kind of isolated and you're kind of on your own island yes. a little bit it probably helped like, coming in with some familiar faces it did bit. it did help because you know Goforth was my partner on the engine you know so it was like i had that uh, we had louis martinez he was our senior you know he drove for us he was our senior firefighter and he was great um but there was definitely um you could tell there was a pecking order of things yeah. like of how things went which was cool like i totally was on board with that and but they were definitely um the training wasn't the same as it is now. <laughs> there was no task book or anything. Yeah. It was just like, this is the mainline bag. This is the safety bag. You know, you bring it up to me and I set it up. Yeah. And you watch. Yeah. It is what it is. That you is know, what it is. Yeah. You know, and there was a lot of learning yeah. on the fly. What about, um, like, operating at fires and stuff? I mean, did you guys do much of that or was there training? Yeah, it was... You know, it was, I tell people all that, well, I, I guess I tell people all the time. Um, my first five shifts there, we had fires. You know, people had told us, like, don't go downtown, you're never going to get fires. Yeah. You know, 
my first five shifts, we had fires. I think two greater alarms, uh, one that we were first into, you know, and it was like, this is the greatest yes. thing in the history of the world. Um, and then it dried up. I have heard that story countless times. Like yeah. my boss right now, Chris Butler, he was traveling through or got a call shift at once. They had a greater alarm. They had a rope rescue. He's, you yeah. know, oh my God. He was like, yeah. yeah, this is a normal day down here. This, yeah. is, this is what we do. Yeah. <laughs> this is pretty, yeah. this, this is, is pretty just, average, kind of slow, really. Yeah. And then, I mean, I've heard that story so many times yeah. at this point that just loop, you get sucked they, in, they suck you then, right in, and then you go on a three-year dry spell <laughs> yeah. or something. But I mean, not anymore, yeah. as it turns out. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was um, it was great that that first little flurry, and then it yeah, then it slowed down. <laughs> so you mentioned Louis. Like, who were some of the other um, guys that you really remember that were? Um, well, Avert was there, obviously, the like the most senior firefighter ever. Right, he was yeah. there, um, but like. Guys like Snook, uh, Don Beam, Zavodsky, Monroe, like almost everybody there, if you pinned them down, they, they were willing to talk. And um, I think one of the biggest thing I learned there, you know, especially from like Super Dave and, yeah. you know, those guys is like when we got to fires, they seemed like to me they were moving slow, right? They were just like, they didn't have any sense of urgency to them. You know what I mean? And it was like, it was typical. I'm brand new and I'm spinning a hundred miles an hour and I just want to go do things, you know, and they would go do things, but at a slower pace than I wanted to do them. But like, when you looked back at it, they were always in the right place when they were supposed to be. Yes. And, and that was the kind of experience that they had. They, I would have wasted a ton of energy and a ton of time doing something totally different and never ended up in the spot they were in just because I didn't, you know, have that experience. Yeah. And so it was like when I'd be partners with Tony or be partners with super, it was like, I just try and stick on their tempo and, and do what they do. And then when we got done, it was like, Hey, why do you, you know, why did you think about that? You know? Yeah. Or why did you prioritize that over this? You know? And then they, they were very, you know, open to letting you know. And then, you know, there were a lot of officers there, um, at the time that were also you know, very open to letting you know when you were not in the right spot, yeah. you know what I mean? Or yes. when you didn't do something right. Um, and they were not afraid to, yeah, to let, <laughs> let you know in the, right. Yeah. In the best way they Tune knew how it. Yeah. So did you, I mean, did you feel like you were starting to at that point, like get the hang, get the hang of it at mm-hmm. all? Okay. No. Um, I what was missing? I didn't, back I didn't it. know any of the, like, I was pretty, comfortable with my like my skills I felt like you know all the skills I've been taught like I I was comfortable with all those but I had no like the reason why we did certain things I still was like mm-hmm. kind of unsure and I, or I would have questions about why we do this over this or you know why did you do that instead of this you know I was trained to do this and you did that you know and why is that and a lot of times it was the, you know, they didn't know yeah. You know, which is not their fault. They just had done it so many times that it was like, well, this is what I do, you know. And it's yeah. like, well, why do you why do you do that? And they're like, I don't fucking know. Stop asking <laughs> yeah. me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Just stay out of my way. Um, so it it was probably I had left ones and went to thirteens, and we had a fire that was I think we were moved up actually to ones at the time on the truck, and we had a fire in a in a warehouse down on NATO, and it was all buttoned up and it was just a outward opening commercial door and it was locked. And I grabbed the, the iron straight jacket, you know, the Halligan and the flathead were in that 
vinyl straight jacket. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I got up to the front door and, or to that door and I had no idea what to do. Yeah. Like, because I had not been taught, we didn't learn yes. how to use Allegan in training. Um, we did a tool talk on it. You know, I knew all the measurements and weights and how to clean it, but I had never used it. Yeah. Like, and, and it, now it was in the straight jacket and I'm standing at this door and I, I have sure. no idea what's happening. And so, you know, we ended up cutting a roll up door and, you know, it was like, nobody said anything. Yeah. But it was just like, I got back to the firehouse and I was defeated. Like, I was like, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, I can't get through a door. I can't get through a locked door. Yeah. You know what I mean? And previously, you know, up until that point, you know, they'd all been, you know, inward opening, you know, house fire doors where you just kicked them in, you know, yeah. and that, which was awesome. You know, that was like the funnest thing ever right yeah pretty much until it doesn't work until your knee breaks right yeah Um, (laughs) or it doesn't work or you have an outward opening door right yeah so that was like for me all of a sudden it was like i think i probably had four or five years on the job already and i was like i don't know this basic skill and now i'm mad yeah you know and i was i wasn't so much mad at the job for not teaching me i was mad at myself for like just kind of being complacent. Like I just been skating through and going on these calls and then just kind of expecting that I was going to learn these things. You know what I mean? And I was learning, you know, looking back at it, I was learning, you know, but I had thought at that point in my career that I'd be a lot farther along than I was like mentally about the understanding of what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, that was kind of the, the turning point to where it was like, okay, I, you know, I need to start asking some questions and I need to start getting some answers and whether they're from here or from somebody else, I just can't, I don't, you know, I can't keep having this feeling right. that I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So what did <laughs> that, know? what did that so, look like coming out of that experience? I, you know, I'd called, I'd talked to a bunch of, you know, people, friends, you know, academy folks and it was like hey do you, you know do you have this feeling also like and they're like yeah i don't know what the hell i'm doing yeah <laughs> i feel like sometimes and it yes. was like so i think it was bartolome and sparks they went they decided they were going to go to fdic right and it was like at that time i don't you know i'd never heard of anybody going anywhere for a class yeah and i don't think they had either and so they went together and they went to fdic and they came back and they were like oh my god this was the greatest thing I ever did. They took a forcible entry class. Okay. I think, and I think Jerry took it. I don't know if Sparky took something different, but either way, it was just like, he's like, it was amazing. I learned so much. It's like, tell me what you learned, you know? Yes. And then he, we talk about it and he's like, you gotta go, you gotta go. And I was like, okay. And so that, that was when I started like trying to find, you know, outside training basically. And I never ended up going to FDIC. What year was that, that they went to FDIC? Do you think? Mm, see, that was probably maybe 2004. Okay. So not Somewhere long after right you at, got to 13. Yeah. Not long yeah. after, you know, and, um, it could have been anywhere from 2002 to 2004, but yeah. either way, they were the first people that I'd ever known that I was like, oh my God, you want some to get training? Like, is that, could we do that? Like, yeah. is that a legal thing to do? Right. You know, like, yeah, I just went, you know, and it was yeah. like, okay. And then, you know, so I just started going to um, as many outside trainings as I could find. What'd you start with? Uh, I think the first one I went to was a irons class in Seattle area. 
and then a truck academy. Cause I, I, you know, when I went to 13s, I got the 13s on the engine. I was like, I knew I wanted to ride the truck. You know, it was like that, that was going to be my goal. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to get on the truck. And there were a lot of senior people there and it was like, man, they look, they look so salty. They know what they're doing, man. I want to be that guy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you don't have to, you know, sit on hydrants and wait for assignments. They just do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. The super freelance job. And it was like, <laughs> I want that. So I was like, I'm going to go to these truck academies and learn all this truck stuff. And I'm going to come back and they're going to be so impressed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who was teaching these classes? Oh, they were just different kind of, I wouldn't call them ragtag, but it was just groups of guys that would just put these on, yeah. you know? Um, and a lot of them you know, would be from around the area. I remember taking a irons class that Jesse Avery from Vancouver was putting on. Um, uh, trying to think of the other guys' names. A lot of Seattle guys, it seemed like, were teaching at the time. Um, California. Yeah. Stuff like that. So it was cool. I was meeting I was meeting people. You know, I'd, I'd really only known people in the Portland Fire Department for the yes. first five years. You know, it was very, you know, like everybody. And then now I was meeting other people and it was like, I was hearing about other departments and like problems they had, you know, things they did different than us. It was just like, to me, you know, having no experience in the fire service, what we did here was, as far as I was concerned, was what people did everywhere. Right. Like I didn't yes. know the difference, you know? Right. Um, and then you found out, well, yeah, that we do it this, we, we use a totally different size hose. And it's like, what? Yeah. Is that even legal? Can you even do that? You yeah. know, it's like you fold it. How? But, and then, you know, they would tell you why they did it. And it was like, oh, that makes sense. You know, I wonder why we don't do that. You yeah. know, and then you go back and ask and somebody either tell you, well, this is why we don't do it, you know, and have an answer. Or they tell you, I don't know, but That's shut the way up we've about always it. Done it. <laughs> yeah. 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 You yeah. know, and you know, it's neither here nor there, but it's like. So the information that you were bringing back from some of these classes, I mean, did it seem like the people you were working with were receptive to outside information or tactics or just an approach yeah i don't know what the i don't know what the best word I, you know they were tolerant of it mm. i would say you know yeah. it was like it was i don't know if it was more of a pride thing or it was like well you know we are we that that wouldn't work here that's a different you know we have a different <laughs> our buildings our are buildings different are different <laughs> yeah and our, you know our, our doors don't work like that yeah it was like yeah. So what was the, I mean, that, that's such an interesting concept and it obviously it gets, you know, it gets repeated right. ad nauseum. I think we're yeah. far more tolerant of yeah. oh, outside yeah. information yeah. as like yeah. media. I mean, because at that time, you know, the early two thousands, YouTube was in its infancy. If right. it existed at all, yeah. um, podcasts weren't a thing. No. If yeah. you wanted to listen to somebody talk, you had to turn on the radio, yeah. you know, getting information or developing those communities, I mean, it was such, it was so, so much different than yeah. it is now. Yeah. It was definitely more, you were definitely more inbred and in. yeah. I mean, there's certainly, I mean, my experience with those, a lot of those, obviously you came in a lot earlier than I did, but working with a lot of those same people, it seemed like there was almost a generational intolerance for outside influence. And yeah. I don't know what that comes down to. I mean, you yeah. hit on the pride piece, but I mean, at the center of almost every bad interaction is there's a little ego in the center yeah of absolutely yeah i mean we're all guilty of it i don't know i felt like yeah I, I felt like you know when i brought stuff back they would tolerate listening about it but there was never any they weren't truly that interested in it you yeah. know they was like they knew one way of doing it and or maybe even didn't know one way of doing it but 
it was like this is how i've been operating for 20 years i guess I that's i don't the, want to change it then that's an interesting dynamic because if you're bringing back some piece of information that's different but the members using the techniques that exist they're successful with right it, yeah then yeah. yeah i mean i can totally yeah, see why someone broke, would don't be, fix it yeah, yeah. it's reluctant mm-hmm. this is what everybody's expecting us to do yeah so we're sticking to the plan but, yeah but if so you know if you had that experience with that outward swinging door yeah metal door and yeah a, somebody and else a, did. everyone's having that yeah. experience and yeah. so that's an odd it's an odd way to look at it when well clearly this isn't working yeah here's a way that we could make it work right yeah it, it was definitely it was frustrating i would say but like you said you know like they were they were either already having success another way or had pushed it so far back in their mind that it was never going to yeah. happen to them. Maybe they were avoiding it or whatever, but, um, and ultimately I, you're on an existing team, so you can't, yeah, right. You right. can only be independent yeah. with that stuff so much. Yeah. I think, I think it was just, you know, my personality at the time and, and probably still is I'm just like, I'm constantly questioning why we do things a certain way. Yeah. Um, like you had pointed out, you know, you shouldn't change things just to change them. You know, if something's working, you know, but if it's working so good, you should be able to explain it, you know, and the reasons why it works so good. And I was not, I was just not getting those explanations. You yes. know what I mean? So, yeah, I just, I just kept going to classes. I, you know, I went to Nozzle Forward a couple of times. I just go to about anything that I could yeah. afford and find. At, at the same time, I had started teaching also you know probably i don't know 2007 ish or something like that i started teaching so i started you know being around more people from other departments and then it was like hey you know you'd have these discussions and it was like that was kind of like that that probably year is kind of when i kind of found my you know my tribe yep kind of so to speak you know it was like i was with people that were like-minded and you know we were having these discussions and i was able to have these interactions with people and be like why you know why is that and they would have answers you know and it was like oh well that makes now that makes total sense why we don't do it you know what i mean and it's like that's all i needed to hear you know and so there was almost yeah there was almost a little bit of like you shouldn't be that into the job right you know what i mean and so it was too rah-rah it was too rah-rah yeah and you know i get it like and that's been probably one of the hardest things for me um and it's probably hard for people in all different industries. It's like, you know, my passion for the job is more than another person's, but that doesn't mean they still don't have a passion for it. You yep. know what I mean? I, you know, I think at the beginning, and I, I was probably really rah-rah, and it's like I expected everybody else's passion to be yeah. as much as mine. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's just like it just doesn't work that way. Like people are at different phases of their life and have different things going on and they they may be passionate yep. they're just not as passionate about it as you you know yeah. and that you know i used to look that i i just saw it as black and white before you yep. know and i think just getting older and and you know seeing how certain things either worked or didn't work yeah you know because maybe because i didn't understand that part of it yes you know? so what about learning those like you know finding your tribe yeah. so to speak mm-hmm. and being like interacting with people that had that same level of interest and passion and drive like what about that was satisfying to you with respect to operating at fires i mean what a you know you came from a place where it's like i don't understand why we're doing this and we're not successful to 
this other side of it where I'm learning this thing, I'm applying this tool, and it's working. Yeah. Like what a can you describe like what about that is so I don't I, I think you just I think you just feel safe. Like yeah. to use I mean that sounds kinda like a weird word to use. Um you were safe to like ask questions and to make mistakes and do things, you know what I mean, when you guys were when we were either teaching or practicing or whatever it was and and not feel like your whole reputation was going to be flushed down the toilet. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like you need to be able to ask those things as a new person, I think. Right. You know, and and not feel like the minute I this comes out of my mouth, they're never going to want to work with me again yeah. or they're going to always have this question about me, you know. Yeah. And you know. There's there's an interesting um so Jason Bresler, the founder of mm-hmm. Leadership Under Fire, yeah. you know, he talks about his experiences as a um, a combat leader of Marines in Fallujah, in yeah. Iraq in 2006. And he talks about coming into a combat zone and focusing so much on the tactics that they weren't necessarily prepared for the operational environment that they were in, right. that they prepared for something that they didn't face. Yeah. And as soon as they were in that environment and they didn't have a tool to apply or a tactic, that they became, he as a combat leader became far more risk averse than he is right. like uh, just naturally as yeah. a person. Mm-hmm. And then also being responsible for his crew. He's like, yeah. they were, they would, he, he was found it like really destabilizing that he was so pre- it just about it became about staying alive yeah. as opposed to completing the mission right and yeah. you know what you're just saying about that safety piece i know that is kind of a maybe not the first word that comes to mind right. and i get yeah. why you used it but it's almost the more that you know the less you have to be worried that something's going to hurt you yeah. or and you, the more you can be focused on the mission yeah and, no well, that's 100% right yeah yep it, you know cuz like I was getting, you know, tons of reps at these classes. I was learning new things. I was, you know, getting more confident in in my skills and then just being able to piece together why I was using those skills. So, like, after every class, I just felt better, you know. Yeah. It was like, okay, you know, regardless of what happens, you know, these certain skills I'm going to have, Yeah. you know. And they're all basic skills, right? Masking up, forcing doors, stretching yes. lines. It was like, you know, there is a there is you know, maybe the 10,000 hours thing isn't valid. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like they say, but it's like the more you do something, the better you're going to be at it, regardless Mm -hmm. whether it's 10,000 hours or 20. Right. For sure. And so I, I felt like I'd put in so many reps. It was like, I didn't have to worry about those things anymore. Yes. Now I could focus on different things. Yeah. So, so then you go to sevens. Yep. And then that was part of it. It was like, I, you know, I'd been at 13s for a while and it's like, it's like everything, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know ever and you're going to change a hundred times i'd worked a call shift at 41s at the time and i came back to 13s and said i'm never working there again that was the least fun i've ever had in my whole life you know i'm never doing that and then it was like um i i think uh neil had called me and they had a spot you know and they were looking for somebody to come over that had truck experience and it was like and they were going to fires and it was like yeah this is on c shift no, uh, was, it was on, I can't even remember what shift it was on. I ended up going to Kelly Relief. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know. Right. And uh, that was a big change, but I wanted more experience. I wanted to get more fires. And so it was like, this is a bet, you know, this is the best chance I have. Right. Like, so um, I was really happy at 13s, but it was like, I got to, 
I'll kick myself if I don't take this chance. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it was great. You know, I went uh, to sevens and we were busy and we were going to a lot of fires and uh, I had a really good, I ended up on B shift, you know, Jim Martin and yeah. BA and uh, Steve Dana, Tim Gilbert, all those guys. Um, and, you know, I got really lucky to have Dana as my officer. He's amazing. <laughs> yes. Um, super good guy and super competent. So we were, you know, I was getting to go to fires and do a lot of things and we were busy but it was also like it was like a super you know my kids were young yeah. at the time and my wife was working full time and so it was like I, I probably told you this and I told some other people this but it was like that was the best time in my career as a firefighter like I was doing all the things that I wanted to do I was going to pin-ins and I felt I felt really confident and I was moving you know with a purpose on the fire ground and yeah. things like that and at the same time like that was the best I ever was as a fireman and it was the shittiest I ever was as a human being, you know, as a father, as a husband. Um, and you know, I didn't really notice it until later, you know, and it was, you know, like I make it sound like it's terrible, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But like, I was just doing things that like, I just wasn't, that wasn't, I wasn't proud of, like, I wasn't sure who I wanted to be at that yeah. time, but I thought I was, you know, I thought I was, and right. I just didn't know. You don't, you just didn't know. So, um, you were engaged in one part of your life. I was, I yeah. was definitely hyper-focused yeah. on one part of my yeah. life. And, and it wasn't that I was like ignoring my kids or anything like that, but it was like, I was, I was angry. Like when I'd get home, I was just like, yes. I was just done. You know what I mean? But I didn't know it. You hear that a lot from, you know, combat veterans and, and people in this job that stay at busy stations for a bulk of their career is that the outcome is that the job suffers last. Yeah. Everything, yeah. everything will fall apart and deteriorate and suffer. And what will remain is the commitment to the work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. At whatever cost it's, yeah. it's, you bring, you bring the energy to the job. And if you only have so much in the tank, then everything else is going to suffer as a result. Yeah. It was, it was definitely that. Yeah. Um, and you know, you know, my kids barely remember it. They were little at the time, you know, which is good for me. Um, yeah. And you know, they, it probably, it's, I'm probably over dramatizing it a little bit, but you know, that towards the end of the, of my time there, I was, I was, Struggling, you know what I mean? Like just in what way? I, you know, I just I think I was burnt out. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like I had been really focused on on the job and and teaching and going to classes and and all this stuff. And I had two young kids and um, I was golfing a lot at the time too. You know what I mean? It was <laughs> yeah. like you know I, I was just had a lot going on and I was going to a lot of calls and I was seeing a lot of things and and you know it just. Yeah. They build up and, you know, towards the end of that, it had a, you know, I had a big blowout and it, so, yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, that was kind of like, okay, you know, this is, you know, I, I was in counseling for a while and yeah. it was like, this is, maybe this isn't going to be a yeah. long time thing, you know, at, at seven. So yeah. Then I just, I moved on. Yeah. So you were, I mean, like you said, it's funny, like you said at the beginning, you know, you about six years, and then it's time to do something yeah. different. Mm-hmm. And it was about yeah, it was six. About, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, and I don't know, you know, if that's a common theme. I, it's, it's not a common theme, I don't think, because, you know, you see guys stay 25 years. You I know, think you see I think everything. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. very it's yeah. very personal. Yes. But like, for me, I guess that's just... <laughs> there's an arc. There's of, my limit. Yeah. You know, it's like, it yeah. works good for my marriage, though, because, like, I don't have that, like, six-year thing where she <laughs> has to leave in six years. You know what I mean? Like, we made it 20, <laughs> you know, yeah, 26 yeah. years, right? so, like... Yeah, you have to reinvent yourself yeah. every six years. Yeah, and, like, yeah. I gotta feather my hair. Yeah, and, I gotta grow it out again. <laughs> Do this thin mustache. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so... So, were you um, at Sevens, is that... Were you doing a lot of, like, position-based firefighting in terms of you're sitting in this seat, so you're going to grab these tools and do this job in this area? We were we were kind of heading that way. We were introducing some of the theories of it, I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, that was when VES was first starting. Yeah. You know, right. and we were starting to do that, you know, a fair amount. Um, but it's still, there was still it's not... It's V-E-I-S. We oh, actually right. invented it uh, in Portland here. <laughs> so it's very important that you were... Yeah, it's very... Right. It goes, it's, it's, it's actually it's only safe. successful with the Portland door open. Yeah, you have to make sure you have that It's for your safety. We invented it. Yeah. Yeah, so... So it was starting to get introduced as... Yeah, it was starting to get introduced. And it's it's probably about in the same spot it yeah. was then. Right. But I think a lot of those things were just starting to be introduced. Mm-hmm. Like the OV position and right and those kind of things, but you know we were having success. I felt like and um, Dana was super supportive of it. Yeah, um, Davies, Captain Davies at the time. Yeah, was super supportive. He's a great captain. Um, right about the time that you were wrapping up your time at Sevens, uh, Dana got a call shift on the truck at at once and you know everybody knows for work. Those of you that have worked at ones at the firefighters sit on one side of the room in the day room, yeah. and then the three officers are at the, you know, at the other side. And so Dan is looking at the room. And he says, "Okay, so um, <laughs> what's your guys' plan for a fire yeah. on the truck? What do you guys do?" And a couple of members were like, oh, "Well, you know, we've got the uh, dog robber, and then, <laughs> then there's the bucket man, and then we'll, you know, set up." And he just looked at us yeah. like. Well, aren't you expecting to go on a fire today? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't isn't it isn't one going to come in in the next five minutes? Yeah. What's what's the plan? And there wasn't one. Yeah. There was no plan. Mm-hmm. I know. And I I think it really, I mean, it shook up a number of people that were in the room, and you know, it was a long time ago. Yeah. It wasn't quite 10 years ago, but yeah. it was a long time ago. And it just, it's it's like when somebody holds up a mirror yeah. to, it's like when you do that yeah. in-body. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you, it just makes you stand on the yeah. machine, right? That thing's loaded anyway. And then you look at the numbers and it's like, it becomes hard to lie to yourself at some right. point. Right. When somebody holds up a mirror to um, what you're doing. And it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that someone is lighting you up no i think that we have this aversion towards seeing the truth about our blind spots yeah 100%. of course right yeah. and that's that's totally yeah. natural but at yeah. some point you can't just ignore the blind spot right. anymore and there was a there was a guy that worked it once for a long time and he was described by a, a buddy of his who he he lives in a in a small room with no windows and one door and inside there it's painted sky blue with little fluffy clouds <laughs> on the inside and every once in a while somebody opens the door He's like, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing in here? I know. What? What? I mean, well, and then and then slowly 
the door closes and then you're back in yeah. your little sky blue room with puffy yeah. white clouds mm-hmm. and then you just move on yeah so but that's not i mean it seems to be the way you describe these experiences that's not what you're doing i mean to some degree we all have those blind spots i'm yeah, not trying yeah. to say that you don't no, have them and I we don't them. all but yeah um there's another there's another path out of them and there's people out there that you know are interested in the same things yeah so from from sevens you went to truck two yep yeah joe budge asked me to come out there and uh be on the truck out there and it was great like it was it was uh i think i'd had just enough time you know on the job like i was comfortable with my skill set and it was like i actually probably do have something you know to offer to somebody you know what i mean like if it would have been any earlier it would have been like i just i don't know that i could have done it with good conscience you know yes so um so at that point you'd been on 17 years yeah something like that yeah a long yeah it felt like a long time um but it was awesome it was you know i was able to go out there and you know budge was great everybody out there was great you know we were starting to introduce some new things and yes um, big time there was a ton a ton of like uh group so we did you know we had a group every whatever it was three months and then you just got a new one there wasn't any downtime between groups so it was like you had recruits and then they left and then you got new recruits okay and so you were teaching all the time which was awesome you know that's why i went there was to teach and so and that and we were that's when we started introducing like the writing positions and and things like that um so some of that stuff that was kind of its beginning yeah. And, that, you know, and the forcible entry. I mean, oh, yeah. we're actually yeah. teaching. Forcible entry was before that, you know, a couple years yeah. um, with Cody. And it's just like, you know, and the, and the nozzle forward stuff. It's just like the way they get trained out there now is just, it's insane. You know, like yeah. they're, getting the, they're getting the best of kind of all the training that has ever been out there is now attack. Yes. You know, and it's like, so, you know, these people coming out now when they come into the firehouse it's like they're ready to work they're ready to go yeah you know whether they feel like it or not they're so they're light years ahead of where we were yeah you know and then you know that's that's part of what keeps me going is like you don't want to be the weak link ever and you especially don't want to be a weak link to some new person yes right like it's absolutely like, it's like they they look up to you to set the example and if you don't you know if you don't know how they were trained Yes. You know, which I think that's, that is one of our blind spots, you know, big time. It's like the, the new people get trained a totally different way than we do on the line. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, they shouldn't be coming out and asking you something that you've never heard of. Right. Like, yeah. Whether you were trained that way or not, you know, there, there's a disconnect a little bit. There's a tremendous disconnect. I mean, it's, it's arguably one of the biggest challenges that we face, I think as a department right now is that since sort of the beginning of that transition of TAC and twos, you know, when you got out there to today, I mean, we have, there's a generation of firefighters that are, that don't have nearly the same level of training or knowledge Mm -hmm. that these new members have. Yeah. Yeah, And so they come out and integrate with gen pop firefighters who, you know, really to be totally clear through no fault of their own. Yeah. Don't just like when yeah. you had the yeah. irons in a sack and like, mm-hmm. I have no idea how to use this thing. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 yeah. it's nobody's 
fault. Right. Like that's the wrong way to look at it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's you have to realize that the people like if you want to know what to do, grab the youngest yeah. person on the rig and ask them how they were trained. Oh yeah, you see it every company eval. Hundred you know, percent. Like, yeah. What do we do? <laughs> yes. So, right. No, it's it's good though. It's good for the department. Was know? so when you went to twos and started introducing these new concepts. I mean, how did that? How did that go? Were there uh, other people there that of the same mindset that were supporting that effort? Or? Yeah, about it was probably fifty fifty. Okay, you know there, you know it was it was, it's like it is now. There were you know we did it on our shift, but they didn't do it on another shift. Yeah, you know, and then they kind of half did it on another shift, you know, or they did it a different way. Um, I think since we've been you know interacting with twos, I. I, th- I think that dynamic will always exist to some degree mm-hmm. just because of yeah. the individual personalities and the yeah. way they approach problems. But I think one of the major differences is that conceptually the, the idea of we have a plan for when we arrive right. yeah. is there yep. across mm-hmm. the shifts. I mean, there's yeah. some foundational concepts that exist regardless of how you're going to implement yeah. this whatever tactic you choose to use in the moment. Yep. That I think that's probably the biggest change from... Yeah. Like an era that you're describing. Yeah, I totally agree. Yep. I think almost all those ships have a plan for, you know, flat roof, peaked roof. Yeah. You oh, know, definitely. First and in, extrication. second in, extrication. Yes. Yeah, everything. Yeah, it's, I mean, it seems like that time that you went to twos was the beginning of that culture shift. Would you, Yeah, it, it, I, I would say so. I mean, I know yeah. when I went through training, it was, we had great trainers. Yeah. They supported our efforts but i think they were in the same boat that you were when you got hired which was they're awesome people and they care about the members they're training but they just don't know what they don't know they just and had gone to a lot of fires yeah i mean the other dynamic too was that when i went through training the there were two kinds of people at training generally speaking and this probably isn't fair but i'm gonna say it anyway that, (laughs) that there were Younger members who were preparing to promote right. or take the test, mm-hmm. they were close to getting picked up or they were preparing for a test and they wanted to get back into the books mm-hmm. and get surrounded by an environment where people are learning and training yeah, yeah. to reinforce that knowledge. And then there were people in the twilight of their careers who right. were getting that three-year look back right. and that premium pay. Yeah. And in my mind, both of those scenarios, those members are there for themselves. They're there for because they are doing something for themselves mm-hmm. and not necessarily because there's there's something to offer in the way of knowledge or experience or some sort of insight for the rest of the membership and then the next generation of, of people that are coming into the job behind us. And it seems like that has been, just from an outside observer, that has been the biggest shift in that part of the training division in TAC and twos is that there's less and less and less of that. Like those people stick out as opposed to being yeah. the norm. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're hundred percent right. So like since I mean that's been, you know, seven closing in on eight years now since you went to twos, like are you seeing that mindset shift throughout the department in terms of like the, the training mindset or Yeah, definitely the training mindset. You know, when we get people rotated in the twelves, you know, from out in the companies, yeah, you know they're they're always talking about you know different places. They'll always pull me aside or ask me, you know, like, hey, you know, I worked I worked here the other day. You know, what do you think about this? Or, you know, like, you know, like with thirty ones, thirty ones, you know, still stretches every day. You know, it's yes. like 
the, the places get these reputations, you know, and I think, I think there, there's, I'm trying to think of a good way to say this. I think there's more training out there now. I think the culture of training is a little bit better, but it's still not enough. It's still kind of sporadic. Right. And it, and it depends on the, the personnel of the day. Yeah. Right. Whereas, you know, like, and it, and it comes back again to like, you know, like how I would like to see it is probably <laughs> like way too far one way, you know, but if it came back just to the middle of that, yeah. that would be pretty amazing. Like I love what 31 does. Yeah. You know, I love the daily stretch, you know, we try and do it at 12, you know, it's just, it doesn't, There's a lot it of doesn't always happen, you know, yeah. but, um, it, it makes such a big difference in, in everything and not just the stretch part of it, just the. I think a lot of the camaraderie that you get going through training, you yes. know, is because you have that shared suffering and that shared experience of, you know, being on the drill ground all day and, and getting dirty and, you know, doing blue collar work like, yeah, like we would do. Right. And, you know, I think you lose that a little bit out in the companies when you're just running call after call after call, yeah. you know, where all you do is carry the blood pressure machine in, you know, yeah. and so getting out and stretching hose and, flowing water and throwing a ladder or two goes a long way. Yeah. Well, there's a mindset shift too. I mean, we, we are on the squad being able to, to add to fires around town. Yeah. Fires in Southwest Portland go completely differently yeah. than fires in Southeast. Northwest Portland and Southeast Portland. There's just a totally different operational tempo mm -hmm. on those fire grounds that doesn't I don't know that better or worse is really the way it to describe different. it. It's just totally different. Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, as a traveler or if you're in Kelly Relief working a few different places, I don't know that you'd. Yeah, and then there, of course, are always members that work overtime all over the place. Yeah, yeah. But um, that's a pretty, that's a rare, I think that's a rare perspective because you're, we're only <clears> adding if it's going to be, if it sounds like it's going to be something. Right. And so it's sort of a concentrated type of experience, I yeah. guess, in the different. So certainly like the op tempo on the fire ground is reflected is reflective of the people that are there. Yeah. Yeah. And and to an extent it's also the geography of those areas, you know what I mean? Like yeah. bigger houses, you know, in southwest, big setbacks, you know, hills, yeah. things like that, you know, like just getting a line in position is gonna take three times as long as it does absolutely you know, somewhere in southeast. Yeah, definitely. You know, they're just they're different animals. Yeah. So like, uh, what, what, why have you not promoted? <laughs> well, <laughs> so the reason, and the reason that I asked this is because in the evolution of the culture of a senior firefighter, it, it's a senior firefighters are kind of in a weird spot in yeah. a way because it's not a defined position of leadership. Right. And I think in my time at Portland fire members that show a lot of promise or, really care about the concepts of leadership and leadership development and mental performance, they tend to promote yeah. because it's, they, they're people that typically like to challenge themselves and stay on, you know, the razor's edge of, of tactics. I mean, you know, broadly speaking, everybody has different reasons that they go to the next level in the, in the chain of command, but the senior firefighter is in kind of an odd position. Some departments have an engineer, you know, yeah, so yeah. there's a, almost formal formalizes that role mm -hmm. in a way as a sort of like a non-commissioned officer for right. in between a go between between the company officer and the firefighters but like why have you 
made that conscious decision to remain a firefighter rather than promote? Uh, well, consciously, it's because they keep making the test too hard for me to pass. <laughs> You'd so, have to learn how to read. Right. Of course. I understand. So that's completely. a big part of it. You know, I, I, you can, like, there's lots of reasons, you know, but the main reason is I keep failing the test. Um, how many times have you taken it? I've taken it three times. Okay. And I was on a list uh, the first time I took it. Yeah. And then the next two times it was biased or something yeah <laughs> right no i just yeah. didn't, i didn't do well like i didn't you know i didn't put in the work and you know i don't like tests in yeah, general I, i've always struggled with it so um but also when i was on the list i was acting a bunch when i was at sevens okay. and i every time i acted i absolutely hated it like i really didn't like it and it was like i could just tell it wasn't a good fit you know what I mean? It was just yeah. like, I didn't like, I didn't like anything about it really. I didn't even like where I sat over there. It just felt like okay. it felt wrong to me. So I don't know if I like subconsciously like sabotage, sabotage myself <laughs> and you know, and it might be one of those things where it's like, it's easier for me to say, well, I didn't study or, you know, cause one of them I did study and still didn't pass. So it's like, you know, maybe subconsciously it's a way of like, well, I'm not that good at studying and I didn't do very well. So I'm giving myself a break. But when I did act, I didn't, I didn't like it. And I am like really glad that I didn't get picked mm. up off that list because I don't think I would have been very good at it only because like, I don't think, I don't think my heart was ever like really in that, in that job, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it takes a special kind of person to do that job. Good. Like Dana was like an amazing yeah. Lieutenant, you know what I mean? And it's like, he may not have been very good as a captain, right? Like he was at this level and I use him as an example. Cause it was like, like, man, if I was a Lieutenant, I'd want to be like Steve. And yeah. when I sat in that seat, I didn't feel like Steve at all. Like I didn't feel like I was ever going to make any of those decisions like Dana would, you yeah. know, I just felt like a fish out of water and I'm sure everybody feels that way in a new job, but you know, I'd been a firefighter for, you know, a long time and it's not that big of a jump, you know, like, mm you shouldn't feel as weird as I felt. I, I see. I felt like, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. and then, you know, it was like, none of the things I wanted to do jived with me being a Lieutenant. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like where I wanted my career to go and the things I wanted to do. And so it was like, I just kind of made that decision after they told me I failed. Yeah. <laughs> After they made the decision no, for me. Yeah, yeah I don't I, want it you're anyway. Not, yeah, the kind of yeah. person we're looking for yeah. in this role. We yeah. want somebody with a lot less time and yeah. experience. So, you know, it's like everybody has their journey as far as like what they want their career to look like. And like when I looked at my career, it was like I looked at those guys, you know, um, trying to think of some good names, but like Nami and, you know, a couple of those guys. And it's like they rode the back step for, you know, 30 plus years. Yeah. And it was like, I mean, anybody that rides a back step knows how, you know, how long that is and what a grind that is. And it's like, yeah, you know, to me, it was like, man, you know, if I could do that, that'd be pretty sweet, you yep. know, and I think I'd be able to walk away from it feeling pretty good. Yeah. You know, so. So you got 25 in, what is the, what are, what are your plans <laughs> for the rest of your career? You're at 12. Yeah, on I'm at 12 on B shift. And so. You know, I don't, you know, I want to get 30 years in, you know, that's my goal. Yeah. Um, I'm 50, how old am I now? 51, you know, so it's like, I'm not getting any younger, but I still love what I'm doing. 
you know, I, I told my wife, you know, well, the day I don't love what I'm doing, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to leave, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, we had five after midnight the other night and yeah, yeah. it's like, you don't seem like you love it. And it's like, yeah, but I'm going back still. <laughs> today's you know the what day. I mean? Yeah. Like it's not the day. Um, so yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I'm kind of a fly by the seat of my pants yeah. kind of person in some ways. And in some ways I'm really, you know, focused on the future, but for the most part, it's like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in yeah. two years. You know what I mean? I'd like to say I'd be at 12s for the next five years, you know, but it's like things come up or things happen. Yeah, and of course. it's like, you know, maybe I'll just move on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. One other th- thing I was wondering about was um, at this point in your career, um, something that you know now that you wish that somebody had told you <laughs> in <laughs> year one. Yeah, right. Man. Yeah, I don't. There would yeah, be. There would be make a list. There would be a huge list, right? Man, that's a really good question. You'd think you'd have a quick answer for something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I think. I think honestly, what I didn't, what I wasn't expecting was the toll, like the, the fatigue, like the mental toll that this job takes on. Yeah. You, right. And it's like, just the the years of doing it. And you don't realize it at the time. I think, you know, like guys always told us, you know, told me, especially like Babcock was big on it. Like when the kids were little, it was like, Hey, it goes fast. Like, don't, you know, don't blink. They're going to be gone. Right. And it's like, and when you're young, you don't think about it that way. You know, it's just, you know, it's, you're grinding away and you don't look at that. But I think it goes with your career too. It's like, it does go fast. Like they tell you all the time it goes fast, but you don't realize how fast it goes. And it's on you to make it what you want. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not something, you know, you don't let your career happen to you. And even in the fire service, I think, you know, it was a little bit like, well, you just find a station you like and you hunker down for 30 years. You know what I mean? And then you just ride it out. I think. Wait, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, you, you can do that. Like start shopping around. Yeah. There's no, like for me, that wasn't yes what I wanted to do, but I didn't really know that was a thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was like, I wish I, I wish I'd, I wish I'd known what a grind it was going to be and maybe to take a step back every once in a while. Yeah. Does that make sense? Sure. I don't know. I always go back to, you know, to when my kids were little and, you know, I wish I would have, you know, spent more time with them then. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I spent a ton of time with them, you know, honestly, but well, it's, it's funny, no matter what people are doing, I get this as more time goes by and you meet different people in different stages of their career and they take these different approaches, yeah. you know, I, I honestly believe that people are just doing what they think is the right thing to no, do. No, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I think and you're right. Some people, it, I mean, I don't know how else you can account for people that you like Averett who worked. Yeah. 50 years and two months at station one right. and granted you know he talked about in the old days that a busy day was four calls you right. know and there were 24 26 people at the station and the line for chow went out the door to the bay yeah, but yeah. but in this era of the busy companies running four thousand calls a year some people show up to work with a smile on their face right every single day yep. and bring it and some people try it out for six months and they say thanks but no thanks it's mm-hmm. not for me yeah. and I honestly believe that people are doing the best that they can with what they have in the moment. Yeah. And 
you know, so I agree. Right. So even when you look back and say, oh, I kind of wish, you know, like, oh, maybe I would have done this or that differently, but yeah, you were doing what you needed to do. And certainly yeah. coming on the heels of not feeling like you were ready for the job and it honestly taking, having to go back and retrain yourself. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a great book by a long time gone now, but he was an army colonel named David Hackworth and mm. he wrote a book called About Face. And when he was learning, he kind of came into the army right as World War II was wrapping up. And as a, you know, a private with absolutely one minute on the job, he, his uh, sergeant told him that, I think it was like Steve Prezenka or something. He said, if you learn it wrong, you'll spend the rest of your life doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> or if you, I think yeah. I'm screwing that quote up. If you do, if you learn it right, you'll spend the rest of your life doing it right. If you learn it wrong, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to learn how to do it right. Yeah. That's what it is. And both good. And it, <laughs> and it really does. I think that, you know, you were, it sounds like what you were doing was trying to, you were spending a bulk of your time trying to learn how to do it right. Yeah. And it took, given the environment, it, it took a lot more effort then almost than it does now. Yeah. I'm still doing it. Like yeah. it's still, it's still a conscious decision. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it, that reminded me though, when you said that, like what, what was the question? Like, what do I would do differently? Uh, like yeah. what, if, if somebody could tell you, you know, if what was one thing that you know now that you would wish you had learned early? I mean, that, yeah. I think that was the question, I think but what I would do differently though yeah. is I think when I, you know, that when I got real raw, raw, like uh, that's a mm. good way to explain it. Like when, when I was learning all this stuff and my passion was really high, I was really, I, I could only see that. Yeah. So I was really dismissive about anything that wasn't that. And, and it yeah. drives people away. You yeah. know what I mean? Absolutely. And so it's like, you know, I, I inadvertently, you know, created bad will or whatever, you know, instead of getting people on, Yes. At, to my cause, I was driving them farther away from it, you know, and I didn't realize that at the time it was just more of an adversarial, like, yeah, it's like, well, I'm up here, right. you know, why aren't you up here? Yeah. I mean, kind it, of feeling. And yes. it was just like, and, and damaging it, it relationships. So, yeah, it was yeah. so damaging and it was so like, not what I had intended, yes. you know, like as far as, you know, having an influence and like, you know, when like this whole you know, podcasts about these senior firefighters. And it's like those guys like Louie and, and, um, Nami and Cal Honnell and all these guys and Dana, it was just like, they didn't do that to me. You know what I mean? Like, and then all of a sudden I was doing it. You yeah. know what I mean? It wasn't how I'd be, how I'd been, how I'd seen it. Right. Right. So I wasn't like just following somebody else's. I was just, this was actually me doing it. And it yeah. was like, it was, it was super frustrating. Right. Like, you know, of cause like you talk about that looking in the mirror and it's like, I think I do it like almost a little too much and it's a little too critical. You know, when I, when I realized that it was like, Jesus, yeah, like, what did I do? You yes. know, like, you know, you just, but you were doing the best that you could at the time. I was Honestly, doing the best I could I mean, at the time. You were time, empowered right? by the knowledge that you were getting right. that wasn't here. Yeah. And so by, in some ways that just creates an adversarial relationship with not just individuals yeah. in the bureau, but the bureau itself. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's training model and how it conveys information and how it tends to, you know, and, and every organization does it, but you know, pretend like the blind spots don't exist and like, right. Oh, this is how we've always done it. Or, yeah. you know, and, and that's the one thing that I think, like when you talk about promoting or you talk about being a senior firefighter, like 
it's one of those things that's not taught, right? Like influence, you can't teach somebody how to influence people. You know what I mean? Because everybody's different, right? Yeah. So you can, you can kind of, you know, tell them what are some good methods, you know, yeah. maybe, but every organization is different. Every, you know, group of people is different. So, um, you know, I was trying to have a positive influence and, you know, maybe in the process had the exact opposite, you know, just because I didn't know any better. And so now, right. you know, now knowing better, it's like, okay, well now, you know, how do I fix that? Right. Like how, how do I help the new generation yes. not have that same problem? Right. So I think it's, it's imperative, you know, and it's up to senior firefighters to, to be able to say that like, Hey, this is where I screwed up. You know what I mean? This yes. is what I didn't do that. I wish I had done, you know, and you know, like it's okay to be into the job, right? Like it's, and it's, you know, that, that's the way I wish everybody was, but it's not realistic. Of course. Right. And those same people that, that may not be as into the job as I think they should be right. Like it doesn't diminish anything they've done or their experience or their, you know, their value to the organization. Right. Like, yes. it's just like, it's just a learning process. Like it's just, yeah, you know, somehow you only get it while you're getting old. <laughs> You know, is wasted on the young. Yeah, I don't know. Definitely. When you, yeah, influence is a is a super interesting concept. I mean, it's something that you learn as a baby. Yeah. You know, when yeah, you throw the, when you throw your toy on the ground and mom and dad pick yeah. it up and set it back on your chair or whatever yeah. it is. I mean, that's something that you learn the power of influence immediately. Yeah. And something that I think that's overlooked by, um, or at least not consciously observed as a senior member is that junior like people coming into the job are always looking to see what you're yeah. doing for better yeah. or worse. They're no, always watching always for better. what you're doing. Yeah. And it's up to you to decide whether that influence or example is going to be something that helps them or, or I mean, whatever you do, it's going to be the, in part, a pattern that they set for themselves yeah. consciously or unconsciously. Absolutely. And coming into ones as a young firefighter, I, one of looking back on that experience, I, feel like some of those members it felt like the privilege of being senior members was to be left alone mm -hmm. to some degree yeah. as opposed to embracing the responsibility that they yeah. had to the people coming up right being held to a higher yeah. standard yeah being yeah. held to a higher standard or at least realizing that that what you're doing is how i'm going to pattern my behavior yeah like, this is just what we're doing yeah i mean we've got clean rigs and nice equipment yeah. and it's well it's just it's not because we're the best. It's just, oh, this is what we're doing. Right. And you go to other departments that don't. operate at a high level and they don't do that. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's such a, you know, a collective consciousness in a way that yeah. everything you do as a senior member is affecting something. Yeah. Whether you intend it to do that yeah. or not. Yep. You're absolutely One right. of the, I have an interesting memory I have of like, when you came back into the tech program, I was on the interview panel. Oh yeah, that yeah. You were. Yeah, that's right. When you interviewed, <laughs> when I interviewed did, back, to, can I come back? <laughs> and no. I remember thinking, like, well, let's just trade spots. Like, you, <laughs> why don't you ask the questions, and then I'll try and answer them the best I can. And um, Emily Eastus was on that panel as well. Yeah, yeah. And one of the questions she had was, she said, "Well, I mean, look at your resume. I mean, you've yeah. worked for truck companies all over the city. You've been involved in." Um, at re like revolutionizing training at station two, you continue that example today. Like, are you going to be cool riding on an engine? <laughs> so all the new guys come in and ride the, ride yeah. the engine. And 
your response, like I'll never, you know, it's something that sticks with me. It was like, I'm not, this isn't about me doing what I want to do yeah. in my career. This is about just being a part of the team and bringing my experience to help accomplish the mission. It's yeah. not about what rig I'm on or who I'm working with. This is just about let's getting the job done mm -hmm. the best way that we can. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's certainly, I mean, my experiences with you, that's exactly how it's been. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's a, a part of coming back to the program was I wanted to do something different again. It was like, I just wanted the challenge of doing something different and coming back to the engine, you know, it was like, it was funny cause it's like a demotion almost. Right. Like, but it's not right. Like the no. majority of the fire services, engine company operations, right. Fires and don't it's go like, out without engines. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> Hey man, like it's a really good chance to, you know, get really good at being on an engine, you know? Yeah. So for that, it's been really good. Yeah. Like I'm definitely learning a ton, but like what you talked about earlier, you know, setting the example is the hardest part of being a senior firefighter because it doesn't really, even if you don't want that title or if you don't, you know, you don't believe in that title or whatever it is, they are they're watching you, you know what I mean? And it's and good or bad. And it's, and, and when you know, they're watching you, it makes it even worse Yeah. because then it's like, well, there's no, you know what I mean? Like got every no time there's no excuse, right? Like, you know, there, you, you know, when a call comes in, if you're bitching right away, it's like, you have to catch yourself, you know, you, yeah, you have to bunker up every alarm bell, you know, yes. it's, it's a constant fight of like setting a good example when everything in your soul wants to not yeah. set a good example at that minute. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the, the great ones talk about, um, I mean, a really obvious example of that is when firefighters promote. You know, right. arguably it's the biggest transition you're going to make right. in, a, in the fire service is yeah. from firefighter to company officer. Because every step after that, you're in an explicit leadership role. Yep. And the, the ones that are really good all seem to express a similar dynamic, which is you embrace the role that you're in. Mm -hmm. You can't be a firefighter anymore. Right. You've, you're a boss. You've got a yeah. different job. Right. You've, with a different skill set, um, you're looking at different things. You've got different responsibilities, different tools. The ones that struggle are the ones that trying to keep do the job that they've always been doing. Right. And it's a much less um, formal transition mm -hmm. from firefighter to that whatever that means to be a senior firefighter right but when you're there in order to be successful you have to embrace that transition for, and for whatever it means to you yeah and the really high performing senior members that we have on our department they've all embraced that transition yeah and understood yeah, for that, sure yes that the that the influence that they have is it's unique and it's really important yeah agreed well does that Get us up to that. Get us up to speed. Yeah, I mean, we could. Pro it's like the kitchen <laughs> table, forever, right? We right? could yeah. fix everything. Yeah, <laughs> we could be here all day and never get anything done. Yeah. Um, Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, no, I can't really. I think you know we've talked about it numerous times. I think like right now in this fire department, like the things that we're doing and the things that we're facing, like it's one of the greatest times I think to be a firefighter in Portland, you know, like it, it's unfortunate that it has to be this way, right? Like the city has to basically implode on itself. Yeah, I agree. But the experience that like we're getting now, 
there's just a lot there's a lot of good right now on top of a lot of bad so it's like being able to find that you know we're getting a lot of experience yes Mm -hmm. in a short period of time i think if you just look at the positive side of it it's like we have a chance now to really leave an imprint on this fire department you know and kind of push it forward for the next you know the next generation the generation after that because you're really you know like you see it like when you read those when they have the things in the morning about so-and-so it's like you're a generation yes and then nobody remembers you yeah. right like so you know the mark you leave will get you know pushed through these younger firefighters so um i think we're in a really unique situation right now to do that yes to to have a really big change a really big impact so yeah the future is rosy. The future is good. <laughs> if we could just fix ProQA, <laughs> it would be even better. Yeah, well, burning rags on a porch, that's that's definitely yeah, an A-fire That's assignment. definitely a third alarm. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, you got anything? No, you know, it's been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate it, listening. Um, I've had multiple questions arise over the course of the last hour and a half. Most of them have been answered, actually, along the way. Um, I... I I'm going to leave it there. No, I really appreciate the conversation. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. And yeah, thanks for, thanks for doing it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Chris. Yeah. I appreciate being here and Anytime, what you're doing man. for everybody. Yeah. Um, Thank you. And yeah. uh, being as open as, you know, talking about those things. There's, I mean, the more, the more open we are with each other, the, the less people feel isolated, I think, yeah. when they're struggling through those, you know, those tougher assignments or the, the long nights and, the long days at home and yeah and for sure hearing from somebody like you that's been through it and been there and has a lot to offer and is on kind of the other side of it uh does a lot for everybody Thanks. i appreciate it yeah anytime anybody wants to talk about anything i'm more than happy to do it All right. <laughs> awesome all right thanks